I did a blind tasting bracket of eight scotches from my shelf, and here is what I learned about it. What's up, guys? My name is Chris, and you're listening to the Whiskey Noobs Podcast. And as I mentioned, I made a bracket out of eight scotches on my shelf, which I called Scotch Madness because it wasn't March. And I've been tasting them for about the past month, trying to learn a little bit more about scotch. I did this with Budget Bourbon if you haven't seen it already, and it was very helpful to me to be able to learn a thing or two about the bourbon. So I thought, hey, let's do the same thing with scotch, and I feel like I had some pretty great takeaways. You guys know that I love doing experiments to learn more about whiskeys. You probably also know that I love blind tastings, and so I just combined the two for this scotch madness, as I did with the Budget Bourbon March Madness, and here is what I came up with. That is the purpose of this episode. And as you saw in the title, I will also be doing a review of the Glen Morangi, the Quinta Rubin Highland Single Malt Scotch Whiskey. It's no coincidence that I am reviewing this after doing the Scotch Madness. There is a reason for it, which we will talk about. So as I mentioned, this Scotch Madness, it was blind tastings. I didn't know what I was tasting, and in most cases, I didn't even know which two whiskeys I was tasting. So not only did I not know which was which, I didn't even know what whiskeys I was tasting out of the eight, especially for the very first one. I basically lined them all up in pairs. I had the bracket made already, and I told my wife, pick any two of them and give them to me. And that's what I did for the whole bracket. Obviously, for the finals where there's only two whiskeys left, I knew exactly what I was tasting. Ironically enough, since it was the finals, it was the hardest one to distinguish because they were both really good. So, I'm going to walk through the bracket a little bit and talk about what I learned along every step. I'm probably not going to have it in the perfect order because I don't remember the order that I recorded them in, but I'm going to do my best and talk about what I learned at each step of the phase. My hope is that walking through this can really show you guys what you can learn from blind tastings. I can't recommend them enough. Blind tastings, I love. I think I always come out of a blind tasting with more knowledge than I went into it with, more of an understanding than I went into it with. And that is why I do these things. And I also do them because I enjoy them. So let's talk about my experience with Scotch Madness. And then we're going to get to our review of Glenmorangie Quinta Rubin, which is not unrelated, obviously. So the one that I believe was the first one I recorded, maybe not the first one that I posted, was Buna Hobbin versus Glenfiddich 12 Year. So this one was Glenfiddich, which is a Speyside Scotch. It is very easy to drink, very light on your palate, uh, very kind of just the creamy sweetness that you would anticipate from the malt. Like I said, very typical, very easy to drink. I love Glenfiddich 12 Year, and I actually expected it to put up a little bit more of a fight than it did. But I knew Bunahaben was more expensive, and I also really love Bunahaben. So on the other end of the spectrum, you've got Bunahaben 12-year. This is an Isla Scotch, which would normally be peated, but Bunahaben is not peated. So you've still got this salty sea spray note to it with that maltiness that you would expect from an Isla, but you don't have any of the peat smoke that it has to hide behind. I love Bunahaben for that reason. I think it brings forward a lot of nice punch and complexity. To no one's surprise, I picked the Bunahaben, and I immediately knew why. This is a little bit punchier. Bunahaben has a little bit more oomph to it, a little bit more punch, 
And I know for sure that that's why I picked it because I drink a lot of bourbons. Not even on purpose do I drink a lot of bourbons. It just so happens that a lot of people want to know about bourbon because bourbon is kind of going through a moment right now. So not to my surprise at all, I picked the punchier one. Then we moved on to round two, which I believe was the Akintoshin American Oak versus Aberlauer 12-year. Now, one of those two has American Oak in the name. Which one would you assume I picked? Of course, I picked the Akintoshin American Oak. If you listen to that episode about the Akintoshin, then you know that I liked it because it had this slightly bourbony flavor to it. I think I said that it was a little bit weak in terms of the amount of volume of body that it brings to your palate, but compared to bourbon, that's too be expected. But comparing it to Aberlauer 12-year, which is also very good, it just had more punch to it, had more of that American oak flavor to it, which I really enjoyed. I also started in this leg of the bracket, I started to get a suspicion that maybe it was the sherry. Maybe the sherry just wasn't quite appealing to me, some of the flavors that sherry brings. I know some of the sherry-finished whiskeys that I have had tend to have this little bit of cloviness to them. So that was a theory that I kind of had, and I'm not 100% sure about as we're about to learn, but it did get me to do the Akintoshin next. That was the next winner, and I thought it was really good. I thought it just had a little bit more of that oaky spiciness to it that to me was a little bit more exciting. Then we move into what I would call the underdog leg of our bracket, and that was Chivas Regal 12 versus Johnny Walker Black. And this blind tasting didn't even need to be blind. Johnny Walker Black, for those of you who have had it, has a very distinct flavor to it. It's got that smokiness to it. I knew which one it was pretty quickly. You can go watch the video. I'm not making that up to sound cool. And I picked the Chivas for a couple reasons. It was really close. Okay. I could have probably gone either way. I knew the Johnny Black, if I had it in another blind tasting, I would know which it was, which ironically enough was the same reason that I didn't include any peated scotches in this bracket, although Johnny does have some peatiness in it, and so for that reason, I felt like I kind of had to eliminate it because I would know what it was, and honestly, the Chivas, when paired up against that super peaty Johnny Walker Black, kind of had a nice refreshing herbal note to it, more like a springtime note to it, and I really enjoyed that in the blind tasting, and so I thought, let's let Chivas move on. Then we get to the real underdog battle, and I was I was really rooting for Monkey Shoulder in this, but we had Monkey Shoulder versus McAllen 12-year, McAllen being way more expensive. That's the 12-year aged in the Sherry Oak. I thought maybe Monkey Shoulder could pull it off because subjectively, I love Monkey Shoulder, and subjectively, I tend to not like the Sherry Oak quite as much. I love the the oranginess that Monkey Shoulder has, and I thought maybe that would pull it through to the lead. It did not. Objectively, doing the tasting, I could tell which one was the Monkey Shoulder because I love Monkey Shoulder, and the complexity of the McCallum was just there. And if I'm trying to be objective, it's more complex. It has more depth. It definitely had a cleaner finish to it. I had to go with the McCallum. Then we get down to Bunahaben versus Akintoshin and the Bunahaben one. Not much of a surprise for me because it's a little bit punchier and also has a little bit more character to it. I love the uniqueness that the Bunahaben brings in my personal opinion, especially with that slight, slight brininess to it. So I picked the Bunahaben. 
And then if Monkey Shoulder couldn't take down McAllen, I highly doubt Chivas is going to do it. And so McAllen ended up beating the Chivas, and we had our finals as McAllen versus Bunahabin. Now, I can tell you definitively, because I just recorded that video tonight, that it was close. I actually went back and forth with which one I was going to choose. I wasn't sure which was which because they tasted fairly similar and just they both had so much complexity to them. It just wasn't obvious to me. For whatever reason, it wasn't obvious to me which was which. And I went back and forth quite a bit on which one I was going to pick. I liked that the the McAllen had a little bit more body to it. It had a little bit more complexity going on. There was other things going on. I liked that the Bunahabin had a little bit more punch to it. It had a little bit, it gripped you a little bit more with that saltiness, followed up by that graininess and that sweetness in a little bit of what I believe we called sour candy in the review episode for the Bunahabin. So I went back and forth quite a bit, and I ended up picking the McAllen. I wasn't even sure if I was picking the McAllen or the Bunahabin, which in a lot of my blind tastings, I pretty much figured it out by the taste of it. This one I wasn't really sure, and I thought it's probably the McAllen because this just tastes a little bit more expensive. Sure enough, it was. But I will say, I was very impressed with the Bunahabin making it that far. Now... Why do I recap all of this bracket? I recap it to show you what I learned from it. Every step of the way, I learned a little bit. Here, I learned that I liked the punchier flavors. There, I learned that I didn't like the peatiness as much as the springtime herbiness. For a minute, I thought I didn't like sherry oak, but then a sherry oak scotch won the bracket, and I learned that not all sherry oaks definitely taste the same. And I learned so much from it that I wanted to do an episode to not only talk about those things that I learned that I just told you about, but to also take a stab at picking out a scotch based on what I had learned that I thought I might like and do a full review of it. And so that gives us what we're reviewing today, and that's the Glenmorangie Quinta Rubin Scotch. Now, why would I pick this one? Well, I mentioned that I was picking a lot of the more bourbon-y type stuff. I mentioned I wasn't sure if I was a fan of sherry oak. Well, this isn't aged in sherry oak, but it is aged in ex-bourbon casks, and it's also aged in ruby port casks. The ruby port is a little bit out of left field, I'll admit, but I love a ruby port finish on a bourbon. I love Angel's Envy that's finished in port barrels, and I also love the ruby port finish that I have tried from Barrel Craft Spirits. So I thought, this is going to be a front runner for a scotch that I would like. Now, I have tried this already. As I mentioned, I'm trying to form an opinion for these before I come to the show. That way you guys get my review of it in multiple palate conditions. I did review it, and I did form an opinion. And I'm very excited to see if I think the same thing that I thought when I first tried it. So we'll see. Uh, normally, I do the notes that, is, that the distiller says you should get. I'll warn you, I did read them this time, kind of by accident as I'm scrolling and taking a screenshot. Sometimes I'm really good at screenshotting while kind of looking off to the side out of my peripheral. And this time I saw some of it. I saw one note and I thought, well, that doesn't sound like what I saw. And so then that like caught my attention. I saw a couple other ones and I thought, I don't even think that reminds me of what I thought I was tasting, which is a kind of a downside that I did see a couple of those notes. But it's also an upside because I think I disagree with the notes that they gave. But I don't really know because I've only tried it those couple of times. Let's give it a try right now and see what I think. So once again, we've got the Glenmorangie Quinta Rubin, 14 years old. I'm going to give the stats on it while I knows it, so let me pour myself a glass. 
if you've ever seen a bottle or glass of this stuff, it is mighty dark, which always to me makes me feel like it's going to have more flavor to it. I know that's not the case based on stuff that I've had, but it just makes me think, hmm, maybe this is going to have a lot of flavor to it. I don't know why. But this is a single malt scotch, as I mentioned in the beginning. It is aged in bourbon and port casks. It's 14 years old, and it is 46% alcohol by volume. So it's a little bit more than that 40% minimum that you have for scotch, which is nice. should have a little bit more kick to it. And I'm hoping with those finishes, it gives me the flavor that I thought I got when I tried it before. Let's find out. So on the nose, you've got the maltiness, you've got the graininess that you're going to expect from a single malt, but you've got a lot more going on because of those finishing processes. I am going to wait till the end of this review to say the the very, very specific thing that this reminded me of the first time I tried it, although I will say on the nose so far, I'm getting it a little bit. But it has this nice, light, malty graininess to it, and it's got these much deeper, much, I want to say fuller bodied notes to it it's got dark fruit it's got a little bit of like a a salty or a sour type smell to it maybe a little bit like the sour candy we mentioned with Bunahaba. kind of that kind of a thing going on on the nose it's not really a combination of flavors that i have typically gotten at least from those eight that we talked about so i'm so far really liking how unique it is to me Diving a little bit more into that nose, I think the fruit is more up front and then you get this sweetness and then spiciness that follows it up. So you kind of got this fruit with this maltiness. It's like this fruit malt combo that is followed by a little bit of like a spice, more maybe more along the lines of like a ginger or like a little bit of black pepper, something that's got a little bit more aggression to it than just like a light cinnamon. And it's all kind of held together by a sweetness that I might attribute more to a syrup than to a honey. I get a lot of honey from a lot of scotches. I might consider this more of like a maybe like a maple syrup. Um, So to wrap that up in a nutshell, it's almost like malt and fruit, then spice. The spice is a little bit aggressive, but that whole thing's kind of held together by this maple syrup note. So far, I can kind of see this very specific note that I got before. I'm going to go into the palette now and see if I get it or not. Do you want more whiskey noobs in your life? Behind-the-scenes material, the ability to vote in polls that affect the course of the show, and even a list of every single whiskey that we've ever had on the show, along with my abbreviated thoughts on that whiskey? If so, you've got to go check out the Whiskey Noobs Patreon page. Financial support is a huge help and my ability to consistently bring you guys a quality show. So if you're interested, go check that out at the link in the show notes below or at patreon.com slash whiskey noobs. All right, this does have a little bit of that note that I was thinking in it, but I am not ashamed to admit I might have been a little bit off. I think that note might be on the finish, but let's talk about it. This is spicier than it was the first time I tried it. I don't know if my palate is in a more fragile condition right now. What it is, I'm getting more spice out of it than I did previously. You've still got some darker fruit. You've still got a little bit of what I might call like lemon zest with black pepper. It's got that. Yeah, if you've ever had like lemon pepper chicken, that's actually pretty accurate, I think. It's got a little bit of like that to it where it's that aggression with flavor that you kind of get from a lot of bourbons. Hey, that's kind of why I picked this. And 
it's probably some of that bourbon cask spiciness coming through, to be entirely honest. But when you pair that with this sweetness, this fruitiness of the port casks, it gives a really unique kind of interplay. Now, I talked before in the seagrass episode, barrel seagrass, about the balance that it has because it has the spiciness of the rye with the sweetness of the finishes. This kind of proposes that same idea, but in my opinion, this is leaning towards the spiciness a little bit more right now. I don't remember it being so spicy the first time I had it, so it's probably my palate condition. But I will say, in this current palate condition, and I have eaten dinner, so it's not like a matter of I haven't eaten or anything. In this current palate condition, I'm getting more of the spiciness than I'm getting of the sweetness. That that balance is a little bit tilted on the spice side for me. That's not necessarily a complaint, because for a scotch to actually have that kind of punch behind it is not something I've gotten from most of the eight on that scotch madness list that I talked about in the beginning. So I really do enjoy it. The spice keeps it exciting. The spice is a little bit more fun. But just warning those who are wondering about that interplay of the sweet and the spicy, I'm getting more towards the spicy, definitely more towards the bold. And that's one thing that I can say that's really good about this is it's got a lot of body to it. I like how much it fills up my mouth with flavor. Right away, I'm getting that body. Right away, I'm getting that fruity and spicy kind of on my palate. It does have some transition to it, which I'll nail down a little bit better with more tasting here. But just just general impression, I love the amount of body that this does have. Let's try it one more time, and then maybe I'll reveal this note that I thought I was getting that I think now might just be on the finish. I'm not sure. On the nose, there's definitely one other note that I haven't mentioned, but it's in it's for sure in the notes that I accidentally read. So we'll talk about that when we get to the distiller's notes. I would venture to say the palate is almost a mirror image of the nose. On the nose, I thought I was getting this malty fruitiness followed by this spice. On the palate, I think I'm getting this splash of like lemon pepper spice like I mentioned. And it's being followed by these nice sweeter flavors. A little bit of a dark fruit. Um, definitely for me, a darker fruit. A little bit of that malty sweetness, that graininess that you expect from a single malt. And then moving into the finish, you get the note that I thought I got a lot in the beginning, the first time I tried it, not the beginning of the episode. I think now it's more on the nose, not so much on the palate, and then a little bit on the finish. It reminds me, you got the multi graininess and you've got the dark fruit. It reminds me of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich a little bit. It's got a little bit of that interplay. Maybe it's not nutty enough to be peanut butter and jelly, but it has a little bit of it. So it reminds me a little bit of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, weirdly enough. And with that, on this tasting, I've been getting more of the spice and even on the nose that time around, some cinnamon. It was almost like a peanut butter and jelly that had cinnamon sprinkled on it. So it's... If you, if you haven't noticed, I'm jumping around to a lot of different notes. This is complex. This has got kind of a lot going on. And my first tasting that I had was different from my second tasting, different from the tasting that I'm having now. So this definitely has a good amount of different things going on, which I find to be pretty impressive. Now, let's mention the notes that Glenn Morangi says you should get from this. And I will admit there's a couple things in here that I read and thought, that's actually probably pretty accurate. Before I tasted it, I thought there's no way I didn't get that the first time. Now that I'm reading it, I'm, I'm humbled a little bit. There's things that I missed. And 
that is interesting because I think it's got a lot of complexity to it. I'm really enjoying, I enjoy when I'm missing things. When there's enough going on in a whiskey that I'm not 100% sure about what's going on. Now, I am going to dive into the notes that Glenn Morangi says you should get from this. As always, be warned, distillers will dress up the notes to make their whiskey sound a little bit better than it actually is sometimes, and sometimes they'll just have a very different palette from you. So if I'm getting something different than they're getting, I'm going to tell you. I do know there are a couple of notes in here that I was not getting, I didn't think I would get, and now that I've tasted a second time thinking about those notes, I'm like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. So as far as the unbiased review goes, let me just say, before doing this review, before I'd accidentally read their notes, I got basically peanut butter and jelly sandwich with some oakiness, some spiciness, and maybe a touch of the black pepper. I do remember thinking there was some some spiciness, a little bit of burn in my palate when I was doing it, but this time around I'm getting more of the balance leaning into the spice than it, than it is leaning into the peanut butter and jelly. The first time around I was getting more of the sweetness. So do with that information what you will. Let's move on to Glenn Morangi's notes that they say you should get. On the nose, they say dark mint chocolate and Seville oranges mingle with sandalwood and walnut with a spicy finish of pepper and nutmeg. I agree with a lot of what they say here. I disagree with the oranges personally. For me, I don't know if it's because monkey shoulder is so much orangier. For me, it's more dark fruit. Now, the thing I really like about it is the dark mint chocolate. The mint is iffy for me. I don't eat a lot of mint, but the dark chocolate, it kind of reminds me of a dark chocolate uh, Lindor truffle, if you've had one of those. It definitely gives me that on the nose. That was the note that I mentioned earlier. I thought I was getting, but I didn't want to say it because I didn't come up with it until I had read it by accident. <laughs> the other part that I really agree with that I would not guess is sandalwood. I don't know what sandalwood personally smells like, but I know what sandalwood candles smell like. And it does have that little bit of sandalwood type scent to it. Spicy pepper, nutmeg, totally agreed. Walnut, I disagree with. I get more nuttiness from other whiskeys. Maybe it's my palate. Maybe it's just me personally. I personally disagree with walnut. Now, moving on to the taste. Mint chocolate and walnuts, once again. Envelop the palate laying the foundations for rose, Turkish delight, and sweet Seville oranges. I will admit, I had to look up what Turkish delight even tastes like, and it seems like it can taste like a huge variety of things. So I'm not 100% sure. Maybe those of you who really like Turkish delight, you can let me know. But for me, I agree with the mint chocolate once again. That was a big one that I think I missed in my first tasting, and obviously didn't want to mention in my second one. Walnuts, I can see more on the palate than I can on the nose. I can see it with what Justin and I talked about in the Noah's Mill, which is that very slight bitterness that you get from like the skin of a walnut. Like when you've finished eating a walnut and there's still a little bit in your teeth and you get that slight bitterness. I can see that, but I still don't, I wouldn't call it super nutty. Although I ironically enough said peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So maybe there's some nuttiness that my conscious mind wasn't picking up on. Once again, can't really speak for Turkish Delight. Rose, I would say there's a floral note to this. I think that's pretty accurate, although I wouldn't have picked it out. And then Seville Oranges, once again, for me, and this is probably the most I've disagreed on a palette that I actually enjoy, 
I thought it was darker fruit to me. To me, it just comes across as a little bit more of dark fruit, a little bit less of citrus oranginess. I even just tried it and tried thinking about the oranges a little bit. And I, I feel like I can see where they're coming from, but I still feel like for me, that's not orangey. It's more of a dark fruit, maybe a plum, maybe grape jelly. But uh, I think I'm associating it with grape jelly because of the combination of things, and the way they're coming together. That brings up a great point that I guess I haven't talked about too much. And that is, I'm saying all these notes and they all taste like the notes that I'm saying. But when you combine them all, you get different experiences. Uh, you might recall, like in the movie Ratatouille, for me, this was like a life-changing moment as a eight or nine or whatever I was year old. Maybe I was like 13. I don't really know. Uh, when did Ratatouille come out? I don't know. Whatever age I was, <laughs> whenever Ratatouille came out, I remember when they tried the first thing that I assume was like cheese, and then they tried the second thing that I assume was like either a berry or meat. I don't fully remember. And he's like, oh, it's a whole different thing. And then you try them both together. And it's like, it's this whole new creation. You get that a little bit with whiskey. And I think this one, this whiskey showcases that pretty nicely. You get the mint chocolate, you get the walnuts, you get the spiciness, and you get this fruitiness that they call orange, I call dark fruit. Maybe if I pull it out specifically, and I'm not agreeing to this, I'm just saying maybe, in some conditions, I could call that oranginess. But I think when you combine it with the malty, bready flavor that you get from some malts, you combine it with the slight nuttiness of those walnuts that I didn't pull out by themselves, and you combine it with those bit of spices, to me, I get peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And like I said, I'm not getting it as much this time around. But I think you can see when I pull those specific notes together, how I'm getting that, you know? And that is what is so fun about whiskey is you might be tasting a b and c but a plus b plus c might not equal a b c it might be something a little bit different what do they say like the the whole might be greater than the sum of its parts i believe is what they say that is kind of what's going on here for me and then let's move to the finish they say the finish is long lasting silky aftertaste leaving dark chocolate mints and traces of orange what i don't like about this is nose palette and finish they're like Dark chocolate mints and orange. Dark chocolate mints and orange. Dark chocolate mint. Literally on all three of them. I don't like that. I think it has more attitude to it than that. I think it has more personality to it than that. I think on the nose, like I said, you get the fruity and then you get the spicy. On the palate, you get the spicy up front, which they don't even really mention. And then it moves into this fruity sweetness. On the finish, I like that they say silky because I agree. But that's why I think it moves into more of that sandwich flavor is that silkiness. It becomes a little bit more smooth and easy on the palate. That that spice you got on the palate melts away. Sorry, on the finish is what I said the first time. That spice you had on the palate melts away into the finish. It gets a little bit easier, a little bit smoother. And that reminds me more of that peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <clears throat> now, I agree that there are similarities throughout nose, palate, and finish, as there are with most whiskeys, but I just think that they're doing themselves a disservice with making them seem so similar. If you read this, you might think, okay, so nose, palate, and finish are exactly the same. They're just dressing it up as three different things. And I personally don't think that they're all the same. So I don't know, Glenn Morangi, if you need advice from Chris from Whiskey Noobs, but I personally think you should revise these notes because I think you're doing yourself a little bit of a disservice. I'm pretty sure I said the same thing about Wild Turkey Rare Breed, if I'm not mistaken. I'll tell you what, 
Once I say peanut butter and jelly sandwich with cinnamon on it, I can't not see it when I try it. I truly can't. I mean, I could, when I came first to this tasting, I thought, eh, I can kind of see that it's not as strong as it once was when I tried it the first time, but I can still see it and I just can't not see it now. But moral of the story is the nose palette finish that they give you really kind of makes you appreciate the art bags and the barrel seagrasses that have a full literary arts project for their tasting notes because maybe it's a bit much maybe it's dressed up to be a little bit showy but it gives you more to go off of and i just feel like there's not as much to go off of here with the nose palette finish so because of that let me wrap up into a pretty little bow what I would say is probably a, a nice middle ground for the nose palette finish. On the nose, like I said, they say dark chocolate, they say oranges, sandalwood, walnut, spicy finish, pepper, and nutmeg. They do a pretty good job on the nose. I would throw in a little bit of like a candy or a dark fruit or a little bit of both, personally. On the palette, they don't give you much to go off of. They say mint chocolate, walnuts, and then rose Turkish delight and sweet Seville oranges once again. So you're still getting these Seville oranges, which maybe are the, the sourness in what I was calling the candy. But I think the candy is not orange flavored. I think it's more of a dark fruit flavored, personally. So I also would say that there's spiciness up front on the palate, which they don't mention. And I think that that adds some character to it that they just really don't mention very much. Then on the finish, they say that it goes into a silky aftertaste, leaving dark chocolate mints and traces of orange. I agree with some of that. But I think the silky aftertaste kind of brings this this creamy, slightly maltiness with it that has dark fruit notes lying under it and some softer spice to it. You've been getting spice this whole time. Now that spice softens out a little bit into the finish. For me personally, so do what you will. I gave you their notes. I gave you my notes. I gave you my combination of the notes. Do with that information what you will, but I think that that does it a little bit more justice than just saying that it smells, tastes, and finishes with dark mint chocolate and Seville oranges. I think we're, I think there's more going on there, personally. Now, to wrap things up, after I got done saying how much I wasn't a fan of their note list, let me say how much I am a fan of this scotch. I thought it was great. I think, like I said, they're doing themselves a disservice with the notes because this is pretty darn good. To me, I get this dark fruitiness with this spiciness. It has a solid interplay between those two different halves to it, which I really enjoy. I like that you're getting, like I said, it might be a little bit unbalanced towards the spicy, towards the slightly more aggressive, but you're getting some very different things and you're having to see them interact, which is very nice. That dark chocolate mint that I didn't personally get until I read it, that's there, I think. It, it reminds me, like I said, of that dark chocolate Lindor truffle. I can see the mint a little bit too. It's a little bit herbal. And you're seeing that play out as you drink this whiskey. So overall, very enjoyable experience. Don't do themselves justice with the notes, but I personally liked it. I'm hoping some of you guys tried this at home, especially with all the bourbon that we taste. Let me know what you thought about it if you did. Glen Morangi, Quinta Rubin, I personally was impressed by it. I was very happy with it. I wish it brought a little bit more of that sweetness to balance it out a little bit, but if I'm in the mood for a little bit spicy, definitely after a big meal, definitely when I want something that has a little bit more power behind it, 
this is something I will grab, which is more than I can say for a lot of the scotches that I've tried. A lot of scotches for me seem to be a little bit too easy, a little bit too, I don't want to say boring because I really enjoy them for what they are, but sometimes I just want a little bit more punch. If I want that punch, I could see myself going to this. As I said, let me know what you guys think about it, but that's all that I can say for this review. What I will round out with is I will say I learned a lot from the blind tasting bracket. I learn a lot from blind tastings all the time. I think you should be doing them. I love doing these different experiments, which I'm hoping to be doing even more of here on the podcast and really trying new things with whiskey in order to see what we can learn from it. So keep an eye out for more of that stuff coming down the pipeline in the future. But for today, I will leave you guys with learn to drink, drink to learn. Thank you for listening to this episode of Whiskey Noobs. If you like the show, please make sure to leave a five-star rating or review to help grow the show and get the word out. You can also find more Whiskey Noobs content on Instagram at whiskey underscore noobs and on TikTok at whiskey noobs podcast. If you want to drink right along with me, make sure to join the email list by sending an email to whiskey noobs podcast at gmail.com with a subject line saying email list. You will receive monthly emails with a list of the whiskeys that will be featured throughout the month so that you can buy them ahead of time and drink right along with the show. Once again, thanks for listening to this episode. The Whiskey Noobs podcast does not support underage or otherwise irresponsible consumption of alcohol.